We'll continue with the scripture reading today and worship with the book of Ephesians. Today's scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all today. I'm Pastor Rich, and I hope you are doing well. If you're new to our church, I want to welcome you to our church. And um, if you're tuning online, I'm glad you found us. I want to invite you to come worship with us in person. Uh, trust me, worshiping Jesus in, is better in person. But um, we're going through a sermon series on the mission of our church. That's what we're doing. Uh, and we're going over our core principles that testify to our mission. You see? Um, anyone can say something, but how you live is the living testimony of what you believe. And so if our mission is to share Christ and make disciples, then committing to the core principles, for example, of Scripture and Sabbath, and then today, prayer is really how we testify to this mission, how we fulfill this mission. And so what do we do? We Sabbath. We stop and rest every week. We teach from Scripture every week. We believe in the power and the purpose of prayer, and we practice it every week. These are core principles that we live out, and they're not something we just value and we commit on Sundays, right, where we're at church or we're in the sphere of church events. They govern our whole heart and our entire lives. So today's core principle is prayer. And I want to start off by reading this quote uh, from the book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And I highly encourage you to read it. It's, it's a simple read, um, but it's, it's profound. Paul Miller has a, a unique gift in writing in a way that's so conversational, but deeply theological. But this is what he says about prayer. He says this, prayer is foreign to us modern folk. We last for about 15 seconds. And then out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pops up and our minds are off on a tangent. Every bone in our body screams, get to work. After five minutes, we give up saying, I'm not good at this. I might as well get some work done. This mentality makes us think that praying is unproductive, intangible, and time-consuming. And when we are not working, we are used to being entertained. Television, the internet, video games, and phones zap any free time we have. Paul Miller nails it, doesn't he? <laughs> right? 
But I'm here to tell you that if this is your experience, um, you don't have to be ashamed. Because many, if not all, Christians actually feel this way. Okay? Frustrated of how unspiritual we can be and how difficult it is to concentrate on God. And I want to encourage you today because if you, if, you, if you read the Bible, if you know Matthew 11, this famous verse, God does not say, come to me, all who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander and I'll give you rest. No, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Right? There is this false notion, isn't there, that somehow we have to come to God after we have it all together. Right? I can't serve until somehow like I get my life put together. I can't worship. I can't sing. I can't even come to work, uh, Sunday and listen to a sermon if, if I'm somehow, um, you know, if, 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 I'm, if I'm not at conflict with anyone. There is this notion that we have to come to God after, after we have gotten our life together. But that is absolutely incorrect, right? I mean, that, that's not, I don't know about you, but that's not, the, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God says. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of Jesus or Christianity. Rather, the gospel is, God, here I am. Here I am in my doubts, here I am in my fears, in my helplessness. Here I am in my pain, in my sadness, in my anger. Here I am in my conflict, in my frustrations, in my discouragement, in my disappointment. Here I am in my exhaustion, my wits end, my last leg. God, here I am. I'm bringing all of who I am to you. And so I hope today's sermon will shed some light um, that prayer is, is actually against what you and I may think it is. And I, and I hope that this sermon will be able to shed some light on why prayer is so important, why it is undeniably part of the Christian life and one of the core principles of Scripture and our church. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at two things from the text that we read. First, we're going to take a look at who we pray to, and then secondly, we are going to take a look at what we pray for, all right? So first, who we pray to. Verse 14 tells us that Paul prays to God, who is his father. We see this title of God so much in scripture as our father that we take it for granted, I believe. But here's what this means. This means that when you pray, you are praying as a child to God who is your creator who is your protector, who is your loving, compassionate, wise, and trustworthy father. Trustworthy father. And so what prayer is first is that it is a personal and intimate relationship. That is what prayer is. It is actually supposed to be the exact opposite of what may feel foreign, what may feel um, shameful, it is a personal, intimate relationship. If you get to know me, uh, you qu quickly find out that I, I love to be around people, right? Uh, man, I just, I love, I love to have a good time. I love to laugh. I, I'm always up to go for a walk. Um, it, you know, like I'll just put down what I'm doing um, and just kind of interrupt my day and grab a coffee or a bite to eat. 
Um, it doesn't even matter what the activity is. I'll just lie to you. But yeah, I love doing that. <laughs> I've never done it before. And I'll be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> Rich, I thought you loved doing this. No, nah, no, nah, I just wanted to hang out, right? Um, but my favorite part of being with someone is not just the fun or the activity, the socializing, right? Um, the reason why I even got into ministry, my favorite part is when I get to slow down with someone. And um, sort of the, the, the walls sort of come down and we get to catch up and we share how we are doing. That's the part. That's where I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that like angle, <laughs> right? To ask, hey, how are you doing? Right? That's because that is when uh, the relationship goes deeper, isn't it? There's a big difference between talking about food or travel, um, even work or the kids, and then asking, how are you doing? How, how are you and your, your husband doing? How, how is your family doing? How is your faith? How do you feel? And that is the difference between a superficial friendship and a real friendship, right? If you can go deeper, beyond the activity, beyond what most people will talk about, right? Beyond work, beyond kids, beyond, you know, whatever it is, keeping up with the Joneses. Because real friends, and, and I know that's every single one of us that is deeply searching for real friends, real friends, we are unsatisfied with the superficial, right? Real friends want the real you. That's, it's that simple. And so church, prayer is a lot like that because, you know, prayer is not, for example, a working relationship, right, that you might have with someone at work, that you don't talk to after work, that you may not want to hear from after you leave work, right? Prayer is not something that you come to God and you're like, hey, let's talk this over. Let's make sure we're aligned um, and I'll come back to you when things are going well on my end. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a job. Right? That, that's not sincere. It's, it's, that's obligatory. There's nothing heartfelt about that kind of praying, praying relationship. And neither is prayer a consumer relationship where we go into the store and we get what we need and we get angry and we don't come back until they, they find they have what we need or we go somewhere else. Right? Prayer is not a consumer relationship. And, and prayer is not even just about guidance and wisdom. Right? God isn't a bookmark of articles or videos on life management that we can glean from and then quickly discard, you know, where you just, you have this friend for this advice, this friend for that kind of advice, and this friend is for that. But that's not, that's not what prayer is. You can't even get wisdom from God if you're not in a relationship with him, right? You don't even understand how to apply the word of God, which is the book of wisdom, if the spirit is not in you and working through you and enabling you to see how to apply this in your life. So that first and foremost, God is a person and his relationship to us is that he is our heavenly father. And so at the heart of prayer is the closest, the thickest, the deepest kind of relationship you can imagine. You know? Thinking of prayer as a relationship with our heavenly father, then it, may, it, it helps us see prayer as less of a chore, Right? And it's more of this, oh, intimate, um, just uh, personal and deep relationship. It's not a task. It's not a consumer exchange. It's not a means to an end. 
Because we all know people who are tremendous blessings to us, and not just for what they do, but who they are, right? Just, just being around them just gets your happiness level from like a two to like an eight, you know? The joy and fulfillment they, they bring into your life. That's what prayer is. Praise about the real you being with your heavenly father. And unless you understand that about prayer, first and foremost, prayer will never make sense. But if you understand that prayer is about the real you getting into a relationship with your heavenly father, then and only then will prayer look like something that, man, you can't wait to get to. That you will carve out time because your heavenly father is the one who's created you. He's the one who's pouring into you. He's the one giving you life. He's the one reorienting you. But the reality is the real you, the real me, can be a little scary at times, right? Because we all have issues. Our hearts can be and often is askew. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus said what? I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who are sick. And obviously, he's, he's trying to let people know, like, all you are sinners, though. <laughs> all you are sick, right? When he's saying that, right, there's no one who doesn't struggle with sickness. Actually, the very things we try to get rid of, our weariness, our distractions, our messiness, that's exactly what God wants. You know, um, just, just, just uh, while, uh, you know, we're, we're worshiping, uh, I was, um, you know, sort of talking with God and I realized, man, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to make sure I'm, me and, I'm on God's page. That's what I'm always trying to make sure, right? Um, but today morning, I just realized, God, I'm exhausted, you know? I'm kind of lost. I don't, I don't know what to do. And I just kind of threw myself into his arms and I was like, I, I'm, I'm lost. And I'm, I'm starting to tear up and, and my heavenly father is starting to, to wrap me around. You know, that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. God wants all of us, messiness and all. And so that's what the second thing is. The second thing prayer is, it is not just a personal relationship. It's a messy relationship. There is no other relationship that you can have with your heavenly father than a messy one. And to prove this to you, if you don't believe me, <laughs> just read the Psalms. Just read the book. I, sometimes um, I can't read the book of Psalms because it's like so messy. You know, I'm like, oh man. I like Proverbs. Proverbs kind of cleans it up. You know, <laughs> hey, do this and do that. But Psalms is messy. Psalms is what you read when Proverbs doesn't work out, which inevitably it does not. And I just want to like remind, I want to just align us here real quick. I want to read a Psalm to us, okay? Psalm 51. I'm going to switch it up on us, Jaquan. Sorry about that. I know. Uh, don't worry about it. This one's on me. Um, Psalm 51, uh, I want to read this one. And it's the psalm that David wrote when he had, uh, you know, committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was one of his best friend's wives. Not only his best friend, but one of his uh, men, Uriah, who was called his mighty men. There were 30 of them. And essentially his secret service that would have done anything for him. I mean, this is uh, David who was called a man after God's heart. And you can see how he even fell away. And how broken he was. 
And this is what he wrote, okay? In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you, before me. And against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I couldn't imagine David thinking, you know what? I'm better than everyone else, right? And then he falls and then he says, you are justified in your words, right? Uh, no one is perfect. Everyone has fallen short. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And he said, so David's saying, man, you don't care about what I do or what other people see. You care about the heart. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Man, David says this, hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. This famous phrase right here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Yeah, that, that, that's in the messiest psalm in the book of Psalms. You don't get the beauty of that kind of treasure without the messiness that it's forged. And he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That's the reality of prayer. The book of Psalms is called the book of prayer. It's messy. So church, I just want to encourage you today, instead of being paralyzed by who you are, you got to just begin with who you are. That's how the gospel works. Because the core of the gospel is the welcoming heart of God. For not people who are trying to, like, put things under the rug. The core of the gospel is the welcoming, of God, welcoming heart of God for messy people. Messy people. You know, when Jenna and I are feeding Luke, um, it's all, man, it's, it's like one of the most stressful things. <laughs> I'm just like, I have to prepare myself. I'm like, oh, all right, we got like this tray that catches all his food and, you know, um, you know, like, uh, you just got to make sure it's like, you know, I'm reading books about this stuff. It's like, make sure it's a, it's a temple of peace. <laughs> and you want to, you know, make sure that there are no distractions and all this and that. And he's throwing a fit sometimes and he's making a mess. And then when he puts one vegetable in his mouth, we, we start going, yay, right? That's what we do. We go, wow, Luke. And then he starts smiling. We celebrate, right? And then it's an absolute mess, okay? And he put one vegetable in his mouth. I share that because that is how God cheers when you come to him in prayer, right? Out of the messiness in your life, and maybe you're concerned with the mess, and you come to him, and God's like, yay, I'm so excited, right? Because you're a child. You're a child of God. And the fact that Paul opens up this prayer by praying to a father reminds us that we are his children, messy children, but still, we are the center of his desires. We are the center of his, his efforts, all his efforts and his hopes. 
you know, if you have kids, uh, then, then you have tremendous hope and desires for your children. And not just physically that they would be healthy, um, but you also want them to be emotionally healthy, right? Saddens you when they're struggling with anxiety or distress or despair. Um, you want them to be uh, mentally healthy, right? You want them to be resilient. You want them to persevere. Um, you want them to be spiritually healthy. And so as a parent, there's nothing you wouldn't do if you knew that this was going to make your child physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually healthy. God is the same way, exact same way. As the Heavenly Father, His love for you is absolutely perfect. Uh, you and I may make mistakes as a parent, but God doesn't. He's never wrong, and His love and His heart never wavers. So that's the second thing that prayer is. It is... Um, it is a relationship. It's a messy relationship. And then lastly, um, of course, I'm kind of going into this here. It is a dependent relationship. God does not need anything from you, you know? Because if you look at little children, their dependence upon their parents is undeniable. Uh, their kids look to them for food. For safety, and, and you know, um, as a father, I mean, look, Luke, uh, he looks to me even for friendship, you know? Like, he, he loves it when I make him laugh, you know? And I'm like, oh, I guess this brings him joy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I forget that he's turning into an individual. He looks to me for compassion, right, when he falls. And so, uh, yeah, the natural course for children is to become more and more independent as they get old, older, but I think this leads for us as adults, it leads to a sort of facade of fakeness, of hyper-independence, hyper-independence. And what I mean by that is as we grow up, we, we become allergic, right, to needing help, you know? Even the way we communicate, we'll never say, hey, uh, man, can you help me out? We say things like, hey, would you like to do the dishes? It's like, What? <laughs> No, I would not like to do the dishes. It's like, okay, help me. <laughs> I can help you. I can help you. Sorry. Right? But that's, you see how that works? We don't want to even, like, you know, I'm using a marital example. It's ridiculous because married couples should know they need each other, if anything. But we can't even confess that to what is, who is supposed to be one of the most intimate couples, persons in our life. There is this temptation to see ourselves as educated, as accomplished, experienced, and then within the church maybe, like, righteous and holy and put together. We don't like being dependent on others. Uh, needing any kind of help almost seems like a, a, a weakness, uh, a defect. So maybe some of us struggle with the delegation, delegation in the workplace. Um, I came across an article in the New York Times Magazine and um, this journalist was writing sort of the effects of the technical, technological age. And, and, and how it's led to this um, facade of independence. And here's, here's what uh, I mean by that. Let me just read this here. He says, the internet has been able to transfer information faster than before. Its blogs and videos have replaced meaningful relationships with mentors and friends and confidants. Information has implicitly assumed life experience 
The culture of modern America is implicitly training up people to think that they can be independent, wise, self-sufficient, and a cultural guru by the age of 35, right? It's like, I don't need to go to a doctor. I got a WebMD. I'm good, right? <laughs> I don't need to see a lawyer. I already read what I need to do. <laughs> it's like, he writes, having kids throughout all my control, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and knowledge out the door. And I love this line. He says, I even prayed to an unknown God that I wasn't sure I believed in to get my child to go to bed at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know? Isn't that, is there, there's, like, you think that because you read these books on parenting, like, somehow you're gonna, and then you get thrown into the thick of it. And you're just like, oh, Lord, help me. Help me. I need children's ministry. <laughs> but when you read the Gospels, Jesus, imagine this. Jesus could never conceive of himself as being independent of his heavenly father. Never. He was the God man, okay? He was perfect. But for him to assume that he was self-sufficient, to deny his need of spiritual life from his father, he could never, never imagine that. Why? Because realizing that you are dependent upon God is not a weakness. It's actually the source of your strength. That is why. Because you and I go to th other things, so many other things for strength, don't we? Right? Whatever it is. But the true source of our strength is the spiritual life and power of God. Nothing physical. Purely spiritual. Uh, Paul Miller says this about it. The more weak you realize you are, the closer to God you really are. Would you imagine that? Sometimes we think when we feel weak, we are farther from God, but it's the opposite because Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for the sick. So the more you think you're doing fine, the more you think you're righteous, you're actually farther away. It's, it's right, isn't it? The more needy and helpless you realize you are, the more you pray for God's help and are given a completely new, different, and more powerful power not our own, which we know to be ill-motivated, insufficient, and fleeting, but our Father's. So that's, that is, that is um, who we pray to. And that is what prayer is. It's really a relationship, a messy relationship and a dependent one as one who is a child praying to our Heavenly Father. Now I want to go to the second point here, what we pray for. Um, if you take a look at behind me on the screen or in your Bible, uh, Paul prays, for this church in Ephesus, which was just like us, he prays that this church would be strengthened with power through his spirit. And then verse 18, 19 kind of summarizes what it is that he's praying this spirit to do, this powerful spirit to do. What is it to do? Is saying to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the width, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. Essentially, Paul is praying that you and I would have the spiritual power to understand the love of Jesus. Spiritual power, comprehension, and love. Let's break this down. In the book of Revelation, Jesus' disciple John, he, he wrote to seven churches. And in, in, the, in Revelation chapter 2, John is writing to this church in Ephesus, the same church that Paul was writing to. And um, 
we learn that in this letter, this church of Ephesus was a loveless church. <laughs> they were great at serving, right? They were great at understanding the word, but they lacked love. They were driven by duty and obligation. Um, they were hard on each other when each other kind of sinned or made mistakes or when there was conflict. They lacked compassion. Uh, they had uh, assumed that they were independent of the Holy Spirit and they had consequently become cold and not righteous, which was what they thought they were. Instead, they had become self-righteous. And so Paul, uh, John in the book of Revelation 2 is praying that they would return to their first love. And this is what you would call um, what Paul Tripp, the, uh, the, the, the pastor uh, and counselor, Christian counselor Paul Tripp would call the gospel gap. The gospel gap. The gospel gap is when what we believe does not match up with how we live. Right? We believe that God is a God of love but we are not living as one who believes that God is God of love. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus and, and he just doesn't tell them what to do, right? He doesn't just, you guys, man, just love each other, right? He doesn't just do that. Why? Because that is uh, telling people uh, the law, commands. Telling someone what they need to do is a command. It is the law. But knowing what to do, knowing the law, has no power to change you, right? If I come to you and I say, hey, be patient. You're like, uh, I'll try my best, <laughs> right? It has no power to change you into a patient person, right? If I say, hey, I know this person, you're mad at this person, go forgive this person. Uh, it has no power to change you to become a forgiving person. The law tells you what to do, has no power to change you. You might need to hear it, but it has no power to help you carry out the fulfillment of that law. But if that person prays for you, if that person prays with you, praying that God would soften your heart so that you may understand and comprehend the love and grace and forgiveness of Christ on the cross for you, the Holy Spirit uses that to strengthen you in your inner being and change you. Do you see the difference? This is why Paul is praying for this church. It is their only hope for spiritual life, for spiritual renewal, and spiritual transformation. And so Paul is praying that they would comprehend the love of Christ. This is the crucial step. I can't, so if I'm praying for you, I can't just pray that you would um, forgive someone. There's a crucial step. I have to pray for you that whatever uh, law that God wants you to fulfill, the key to unlock that, unlocking that is the gospel, right? So I have to pray that you would understand the love of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit only uses that gospel key to unlock so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to God. Because here is a, is a biblical fact, all right? So I'm going to slow down here and I want to unpack this love of Christ. 
There is nothing that compelled God to send his son to die for our sins other than a fact that he is a loving God who loves you. That's it. There is nothing that compelled God to send his son to die for our sins other than the fact that he is a loving God that loves you. And it is not that God was only loving when he sent his son, right? No, he is loving now. His love does not waver from the moment you came to know Jesus to the moment that you are at now to the moment that you will meet him in heaven. What do I mean by that? That means that even in your worst moments, God's love for you is as strong as it ever was and it will ever be. There is nothing you can do to earn more of his love, and there's nothing you can do to earn less of his love. That same amount of love is yours. You may think it's different. You may feel it differently subjectively, but that does not change the fact that objectively from your heavenly father, it is always the same. Right? Sometimes you may think, uh, for example, like, Maybe your friend is mad at you or something like that, and then you realize he wasn't or she wasn't. That's kind of like with God. <laughs> like, you know, God is like, his love is like, no, you don't realize. Like, this is not based upon your performance or your efforts. It's purely based on the life, death, and resurrection of my son. It's covenanted, right? It's promised. We don't make promises, and we can get out of contracts all the time. But with God, this love is promised to be yours. And so I'll go first. I'm going to share how this applies in my life, right? As I preach right now, I'm not sinless. And, you know, I'm still sort of the same sinner that I was when I was before a pastor or when I came to faith. I'm never going to be sinless. Like, I'm a sinner. I will sin against God. My heart will wander to put my hope in myself, in my efforts, in my health, in my friends and family, in things other than God. My faith will struggle at times as I wonder what God is doing. I will fail him at times when he says, hey, I want you to talk like this. I want you to think like this. I want you to act like this. And I maybe trust in my own wisdom. But God still loves me and he forgives me and he has still redeemed me, right? Redeems me that you buy back something. I am his and he is going to use me. You know, back in the day when uh, you redeemed a slave from his master, right? You're redeeming this person from uh, a life of slavery to a life of freedom. So God has still redeemed me to live for him and in the freedom that he's given me, and in the same way, friends, God is loving towards you. In all your imperfections, in all your broken promises, in all your insecurities, your baggage, your mistakes, your regrets, right? We all have regrets, things that we, we could just kind of wipe away from our memory, our failings. That is the love of God. That kind of love is the key that would unlock your heart to live for him. This kind of love is not uh, dependent 
on us and what we do. That is called conditional love, <laughs> right? But God's love is unconditional because Jesus finished the conditional work on your behalf. And so by Christ, in Christ, and through Christ, as 1 John 4 says, God is unconditional love to you. And this is what Paul prays for, that we would have this spiritual power by the Holy Spirit move in our inner being to understand this kind of love of Jesus. And friends, when you see yourself covered by the cross and the blood of Christ, your heart will begin to melt. Your heart will begin to soften. And if God has done that for you, if he has died for sin and he has resurrected from the empty grave, how could your heart not melt? Only the love of God in Jesus Christ can do that. So let me just end with this. I understand that there is this tendency for us to kind of skip this praying aspect of our lives because every fiber in our body says, get stuff done. Fix the problem, right? It's up to you. Sometimes we're so busy working, envying, keeping up with the Joneses. We're just entertaining ourselves. But we constantly find ourselves struggling with peace and joy and love and selflessness and hope and faith and we're just doubting and we're so worried and we're uncertain. And Paul tells us today the answer to that is prayer. If you ask me, I don't think life is about making all the right plays in life, Right? I have this running joke when I make mistakes, I just say, no regrets. <laughs> it's a way of dealing with the fact that we will all have regrets. But life is too complicated to foolproof your life from regret, and it's way above any of our pay grade. But life is about knowing your Heavenly Father and being transformed into the likeness of his amazing love for you. So the essence of this core principle of prayer, friends, is, is we are not in control. We never were. You never will be. But there is one who is. So let's go to him now. Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, man, you know, we live in this area, in, this, in the Bay Area, where, where we come because we want to we wanna make a name for ourselves, maybe. We want to accomplish things. We want to acquire things. We want to uh, uh, pursue, uh, quote unquote, what this area calls the promised land. And yet... There is so much brokenness in this area. So much discontentment. Um, so much 
uh, depression and despair, so much envy and jealousy, um, so much division, so much superficial uh, relationships, trying to find people that we can connect with that can help us. And it is comforting to know that when you came to earth in the form of your son, Jesus Christ, you came in the exact opposite way. You came to love us and to care for us and to have a deep concern for us, not for what we can do or for what we have or where we live or what we have acquired, but because of just who we are, your children. And this is what we are all desiring. We're desiring to be known. We're desiring to be approved. We're desiring to be affirmed. We are desiring for, for people to say, you are blameless. You're perfect. And we have that in Jesus. So Father, would you soften all our hearts today? Would you use this, this worship, this Sabbath day, to reorient us to not an act of prayer, but to a life of prayer? So Father, would you fill the hearts of our church, the hearts of the people of our church? Would you counsel us would your spirit work deeply within our inner being to the places that no one can get to, that we cannot even get to ourselves but you? And would you rebuild uh, again trust in our hearts to you, towards others? Would you rebuild again love in our hearts to you and to others? Would you rebuild again peace and compassion in our hearts? Would you rebuild again your original purpose for us in our hearts to live with you, for you and through you, for the glory of the gospel, for the glory of Jesus on the cross, for his people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.